Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is the person who just accused me of being too energetic. Senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Greetings, program. <laughs> I just blew out everyone's ears. Yeah, yeah, she did. Sorry about that. So today we are going to talk about something. We've actually had requests about this for yeah. ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had people ask us about Halo mm-hmm. and the games of Halo. And oh, uh, wait, all my notes are about Beyonce. Is that a problem? <laughs> you can see your Halo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a problem. Uh, in more ways than one, but we'll talk about that after the show. So, yeah, we want to talk about the games of Halo and sort of the development, the story of Halo, if you will, because uh, to talk about the technology that's within Halo is kind of silly in a way because the games are set in the 26th century, and as it turns out, the technology of the 26th century is different from the technology we have today, well, and we'd... in order to explain how things would work, we'd have to make stuff up. Well, we talked about the TARDIS. Yes, and we had to make stuff up. Uh, so Not entirely. We're going to talk about kind of the development of these games and, and where they came from and how they evolved over time. Uh, so let's, let's cast our minds back to the mid-90s. Actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back just a hair further. Oh, all right. You go right on ahead. Just, just a little. You, you, to 1991. I will follow you wherever you may go. Uh um, there's a song in there somewhere. There is a uh, mountain too high. A, a couple, uh, a couple guys, Alexander Seropian and uh, and Jason Jones, um, basically got together. Uh, they had both been working on uh, writing software. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> Alexander came up with the uh, amazing game, which was a clone of Pong called Gnop. Ah. <laughs> so, what did you play? A ball that had to knock paddles back and forth? Um, well, I don't know. I actually haven't seen stuff. But uh, they uh, essentially they got together. They wanted to do this uh, for. Well, let, let me start by saying this: um, all of all of you out there who have a project, and I'm speaking to myself also. In addition, um, who have a project and you want to do it not because you want to become the next billionaire. Uh, but mostly because you can and you just uh, tried to get motivated to see what happens if you can do it, but you just haven't gotten there yet. Listen, you know, to the story of, of uh, Jason and, and Alexander, not Jason Alexander. That's different um, because they essentially started writing these programs because they wanted to see if they could do it. And uh, at least according to the information I, I dug up on the Bungie website, um, because what, what they essentially did was they started writing software and they wanted to see if they could sell it. And they were selling, you know, a, a couple thousand copies, 2,500 copies of their early games like Minotaur. Um, and then, you know, they, they basically made it through the, the early nineties and started Bungie, this, uh, software company that was making games primarily for the Macintosh simply because, um, that was the operating system they knew well. More than any other, really, um, and they uh, they they started growing bigger and bigger, and they were one of many uh, Macintosh game developers 
in the the early to mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they they moved up as as Jonathan was getting ready to say before I interrupted him so harshly. Um, you know they w- with every game they released they were gradually more successful. And uh, but one of the things is that they wanted to create games that had something more to them than just. Uh, straight gameplay. They wanted to have a story, a, nar- a narrative that mm-hmm. went along with it. Exactly. And and in the mid-90s, uh, Bungie, which was called Bungie Software Products Corporation at the time, uh, began to work on a series of games called Marathon. It's called the Marathon Trilogy. There's Marathon, Marathon 2 Durandal, and Marathon Infinity, mm-hmm. which were released in 94, 95, and 96, respectively. And uh, these games set up a science fiction, futuristic world. Uh, they were first-person shooter games. They were for the Mac platform. So yep. They were for the Mac OS. And uh, you took the role of a character who was aboard, at least in the first game, you were aboard a colony ship called Marathon. Yep. And uh, there were certain themes that were created in this game that would later end up re-emerging in the Halo series. So having a first-person shooter, having it be a science fiction setting, uh, there were aliens in the games. And, of course, in the Halo series, there are aliens. We'll talk about them in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they It also created the idea, and this is not unique, of course, to, to games that Bungie's created, but it created the, uh, the idea of a uh, an ancient civilization that's responsible for some incredibly sophisticated technology that has since been lost to mm-hmm. everybody else. Like you occasionally come across a, a remnant of it and you think, wow, this must be really amazing and maybe this can still work in some capacity, but you have very little understanding of it. That was sort of established in these games. Also, another important element that ended up playing a big role in various parts of Halo is the idea of artificial intelligence. So you have these these personalities, uh, these AI personalities that are individuals you know they they have a sense of identity and personality um and the idea of an ai going rampant rampancy mm-hmm. uh, rampancy is in the the marathon universe and also somewhat in the halo universe this idea that an ai can become not only self-aware but self-actualized like it can start to behave on its own and it starts to lose coherence and sanity over time so that it actually starts to break down and it can become a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. This this AI can become um, uh, destructive and it can become resentful of its creators, of the, the whatever physical construct it inhabits. And these are ideas that also carry over into the Halo universe to some extent. We haven't seen a lot of it in the direct Halo games, but a lot of it has come out in the various novels uh, and other tie-ins to the Halo universe, including one that I'll talk about briefly, uh, uh, the Red vs. Blue series. You know, We had the creator of that series, Bernie Burns. We had him on our show uh, not too long ago to talk about the development of Red versus Blue. Well, Red versus Blue also continues this idea of rampancy and AI. Uh, it becomes a very central part of the story in Red versus Blue. So they sort of took that same sort, that same idea and adapted it for their story. Now, keep in mind the Red versus Blue universe and the Halo universe are kind of 
like uh, cousins. Mm-hmm. You know, the the red versus blue universe does not directly tie into the story of Halo. It just kind of splits splits off, sort of like the evil goatee version of Spock. And uh, the marathon games took place in the 28th and 29th centuries. Mm-hmm. So it actually, from the perspective of Halo, takes place in the future. Right. Uh, anyway, the Marathon universe and the Halo universe are kind of spiritual cousins, but not directly related. So the the things that happen in Halo are not necessarily things that will take place in the history of the Marathon universe. It's just meant to, like, some of the ideas that came up in Marathon also came up in Halo. So the Marathon games come out for the Mac in the 90s. And in 1999, oh, one other element uh, I meant to mention, all three of those games had very important story elements, what you were talking about, this idea of creating a story. Mm -hmm. They had very important story elements that would be told to the player through the use of terminals that had these AI personalities inhabiting them. Mm -hmm. And you would get missions through the terminals. You would also get more information about the world and the mythology that was being built around this whole game system or, or a series of games rather. And uh, and Bungie was very proud of that. And it was, again, a very central part of this game. And it kind of set it apart from other first-person shooters, which when you get boiled down to it, a lot of first-person shooters essentially boil down to you're a dude in a place with a lot of bad guys. You got a gun. Try to get to the other side of the map. Like that's the that's the extent of the story for a lot of these games. Yeah. And Bungie wanted to make something a little more deep and complex. Well, in 1999, Bungie announced the successor to the Marathon series in a way. Again, the spiritual successor. And this was the Halo game. Uh, in fact, originally it was thought of as just a, a standalone game. Halo, what would eventually become Halo Combat Evolved. And... The first unveiling of this was uh, it wasn't really an official unveiling, but they they held closed door sessions at E3 in '99, mm-hmm. where they would invite certain people to come back and see the game that was in development. And at this time, it was in development for the Mac. Yeah, one of the things that um, that Bungie did, um, well, Marathon really established them as one of the leaders in Mac game development. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, talking about that in the mid 90s is basically establishing yourself among a small handful of other developers, really. Um, because gaming for the Mac at that time was just not that strong, speaking as a Mac user of that time. Yeah, there, there are entire videos online from that era that are devoted to, you know, the, the, the laments of the Mac gamer. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, um, uh, Bungie and Blizzard, uh, both were, were very devoted to the Mac. And, uh, Marathon was something of a, uh, uh, a point of pride in a way for a lot of my friends who, um, you know, there were, there were games, there were gamers in the Windows side who were interested in playing and they couldn't because they had a PC. Well, they, they did port, um, they, they began to port the, uh, uh, Marathon series over to Windows 95. Um, and, you know, they, they became a, Bungie became a more, um, well-rounded developer. They started releasing things for, uh, Windows and Mac, but, um, uh, you know, they had a, a series of others like Myth, the Myth series one and mm-hmm. two, um, which was, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, strategy type game. You weren't playing as a, uh, it's a third player, 
third person game. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then Oni, which was sort of a third person shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am actually wearing my Oni t-shirt, which I got in Macworld. Uh, and they were, when they announced Halo at Macworld in 1999, yeah, which the was, Macworld Expo. which was, which, uh, was earlier in the year than E3, which I think is kind of important to point out for the timeline of this. Um, the, the fans were excited. Because yeah. here it was this, you know, it was planned for the Mac. They were really excited about playing this brand new game. If, if you were around back when they released Halo or, uh, you know, we're starting to, to promote Halo, um, they were going to release it for multiple platforms. Right. Uh, Windows, PC and, uh, and Mac and, um, at least one console, if I remember correctly. And the thing is, you know, this, it started generating buzz at Macworld. It picked up at E3. Well, heck, I mean, Steve Jobs himself came out yeah. during the keynote for Macworld and he talked about this game. And again, th- this was a way to show how the Mac could be a great platform for games. And so he was pointing this out as an example. And, uh, yeah, I got a great reaction when people saw what, um, the, the demo for this, this game, which, you know, in, in, Compared to what eventually came out was fairly primitive, uh, although it still looked great. Well, then in 2000, everything changes because Microsoft acquired Bungie in that year. And uh, the development of Halo switches from primarily being a Mac game to being an Xbox title, one of the launch titles for the Xbox system. And uh, I read that the Bungie executives at the time – were really, you know, considering this carefully when Microsoft came to them with this acquisition deal because they had a couple different pathways open to them. Remaining independent would have been uh, probably the – I think everyone would have preferred that the most except for the fact that it's uncertain when you're an independent company and you don't have that that benefit of a larger parent company to help – Get you through tough times. Yeah, you know you you stand or fall based upon how your products do, and the success of one product does not necess- guarantee necessarily guarantee the success of the next product. Uh, however, they were also worried about selling to a company that would just want to turn them into uh, a production company that all it did was port games from other platforms to the Mac, and right. that would be all they would do. They didn't want that to happen. But then when Microsoft came to them. They saw Microsoft as a company that was getting very, very interested and very serious about games. And they felt that that was a good match for their their uh, work culture. And so they did make that deal with Microsoft. And so that's when Halo switched from being primarily a Mac OS game to an Xbox game, although it also came out for PC. Um, and it was in on November 15th, 2001, when Halo Combat Evolved released for the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, I was uh, I was an Xbox owner, uh, early Xbox owner, and Halo was one of the games that I played throughout the entire time that I had that Xbox. I mean, I've, I was a hardcore Halo fan, and I loved playing the, the, um, the campaign, even the infamous library level, which I will talk about in a second. And... Uh, I also loved hooking up the Xbox to other Xboxes and playing in LAN parties against other players, which was a preview of what was to come once Xbox Live launched and people were able to play online against each other and call each other names that I didn't even know could exist <laughs> until I got online and heard a 12-year-old call them out to me. Um, 
Yeah, there are. Um, th- this really threw the the gaming world into a bit of a tizzy. Um, you know, Bungie had made some some deals. They had a partnership with Take Two. Uh, you you know them from uh, the Grand Theft Auto series. Um, and uh, you know, this was right about the time Oni was supposed to have been released. Um, Take Two ended up with the rights to Oni and mm-hmm. and published it. Um, and uh, Bungie did. Uh, shift primarily to developing for the Xbox, although um, the Windows and later the Mac uh, got their copies eventually. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, but this was this was a bit of a, a major shift. Uh, the PlayStation Two, by the way, never did see its version of Halo. I wonder why. You can't imagine why. Um, but yeah, this was this was kind of a big deal. Um, I understand too that uh, Activision was courting Bungie as well. Yeah. But uh, Microsoft ended up on top. Um, and then it was released with, uh, I don't know, some minor, you know, praise. Yeah. So if you are one of the few people out there who has no idea what the storyline of Halo is all about, I'll kind of boil it down for you. And keep in mind, this story has been fleshed out quite a bit with supplemental material in the form of novels, comic books, um, and and other media as well. Yeah. But if you were to just take the content that's in the games themselves and string it together chronologically based upon the release of the games, mm-hmm. this is how the story unfolds. Okay. So the game opens up, uh, Halo Combat Evolved opens up with uh, this massive spaceship coming out of what is called slipstream space. And it's essentially like warp drive. You're warping space around so that you can travel faster than light. Uh, it is in an era where faster than light travel is is uh, not only you know not only something we can do but something that's fairly common in human space travels at this point and you, and the overpopulation problems of Earth have gotten to the point where the colonization of other planets was a necessity and one of the planets that uh, that humans colonized was called Reach and on Reach you had this massive human colony. Uh, which covers most of the planet. Uh, but 25 years before the opening of the game, the humans came into contact with a confederation of alien races called the Covenant. Mm-hmm. The Covenant have this very uh, uh, hierarchical, religious view of the galaxy, and they think of humans as being evil, and they need to be wiped out. They're unclean creatures that have to be destroyed. And so there's this massive battle that took place on Reach uh, before the events of Halo open. And the ship that your character is on, uh, the Pillar of Autumn, has just escaped Reach into slipstream space. It comes out of slipstream space, and no one's really sure where they are because they just had to make a getaway as fast as possible, and they couldn't really plan it out. So your character is known as John. Uh, you know, John 117, you're never really given a full identity for your character. And he's mostly known by his, uh, his designation of Master Chief. He's Master Chief Petty Officer. Um, and he is a Spartan, which is a super soldier, a cybernetic, uh, biologically engineered soldier who is stronger, faster, uh, more capable than your typical soldier is. Also has the ability to store an artificially intelligent, uh, personality within his armor so he can carry around with him an AI that can further augment his abilities. Mm-hmm. 
he's in cryogenic sleep at the beginning and is woken up when uh, yeah, the, yeah. oh yeah I'm, I'm awake <laughs> the ship comes out of slipstream space and it is right in front of this enormous ring shaped space station and the space station is huge it's 10,000 kilometers in diameter and uh, uh, it's so large that there are ecosystems that have developed upon the surface uh, both surfaces the inner and outer ring of this space station and um most of the stuff in the space station, of course, is on the interior of the ring, inside the ring's guts. But there's all this other stuff that's on the outside. And meanwhile, the Covenant guys are right hot on the tail of the Pillar of Autumn. So Master Chief's uh, purpose in the first game is really to protect the artificial intelligent uh, uh, construct called uh, Cortana – and to protect the location of the Earth so that the Covenant don't figure out where the Earth is, and also to figure out what the heck this ring thing is, because no one seems to know. And the Covenant, they don't know, but they it's something in their legends that uh, they think that this is a tool they're supposed to use in order to reach their religious enlightenment, to go on the great journey. And it turns out that the ring is something that was built by this ancient race of aliens that were very, very advanced called the Forerunners. So, again, that's pulling that same sort of idea that they developed in Marathon and Mm -hmm. employing it in Halo. And as the game progresses, I mean, there's going to be lots of spoilers in this, but if you haven't played the first Halo game, then I don't know why you're listening to this episode. Uh, The... On that ring, they discover that there is a race of parasitic aliens called the Flood, which can infect other races, sentient races, and take them over. Mm -hmm. And uh, you discover throughout the story that the Halo devices themselves are actually a weapon, a defense system designed by the Forerunners to wipe out the Flood. The way they do this is they flood the entire galaxy in energy that kills any sentient creature. So in other words, you kill off the flood by killing off the food supply. Here's the problem is that humans are technically a sentient creature. So if they were to actually turn on this device, they would wipe themselves out. So then on top of everything else, Master Chief needs to try and destroy this halo device to make sure that the Covenant doesn't turn it on and kill everybody. Mm -hmm. And as you play the game, you end up being able to do that. Uh, You do have this one level called the library, which is filled mostly with the Flood, but also some Covenant, uh, which goes on forever and has essentially the same hallway like five times. It's crazy, especially if you're playing on the harder difficulties. It was one of those levels that uh, gamers often would uh, sort of complain about because they felt that, one, it was really repetitive, Mm -hmm. and two, it was really, really difficult, and three, it was incredibly long. So it had all those things going for it. Uh, oh, and the armor you wear. I love the name of the armor you wear. Mjolnir Mark V. Mjolnir, or Mew Mew, is, of course, the name of Thor's mighty hammer. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are a lot of things like that in the game where different ships and, uh, and, and equipment have these cool names to it. And um, in the game, you have the human-based weapons, which are all sort of things like, you know, battle rifles. So they're kind of like machine guns, things like that, pistols, sniper rifles. Uh, then you have the covenant weapons, which are all these sort of energy-based weapons. Mm-hmm. And the two uh, have very different abilities, and they're useful in different situations. And that kind of set the basic premise of the Halo series. And again, there was a lot more story going on 
than you would necessarily first notice if you were just playing the game through as a first-person shooter and you weren't really paying attention to that. And that story ended up getting fleshed out quite a bit by the other materials. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the basis for the first game. And and the end of the first game, assuming you succeed, you destroy the the halo structure and then you uh you are the only really the only person to escape, well, one of two depending upon uh how you look at it, and you make your way back to uh to earth to figure out what the heck's going on. So that game ended up being <clears throat> really 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 popular. It was not meant to be the first of a series of games. It was kind uh, of a self-contained story. However, with a game like this, with with it being such a hit and it being owned by Microsoft, which had such high expectations for the Xbox and this title, how could you not have Halo 2? Yeah. And um, uh, fortunately, I would say the sequels of Halo, a game that did not was not made to be uh, the first in a series, they were much more successful at continuing that story than, say, a movie like Highlander 2. <laughs> Which, again, if you watch the first Highlander, you realize this is a movie that was not meant to be the first in a series. <laughs> it has a very definitive end. Um, but Halo managed to succeed in areas where Highlander did not. <laughs> so on November 9th, 2004, Halo 2 comes out. And yeah. is incredibly popular. It's already, I mean, uh, people are eager to continue the story. And you have the added bonus of online multiplayer games. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, Halo 2 first debuted, well, at any point where people could see it at E3 uh, 2003. Yeah. Um, at the Halo 2 theater. Yep. Uh, and if you've ever seen pictures of any of these expos, you know that uh, um, the the companies that are behind them spend a lot of money on the stuff they really want to promote. Yeah. Um, and it could include anything from lots of banners and lights and all sorts of funky electronic stuff to statues, giant statues, robots. And yeah, yeah. It's it's it can be amazing. But yes, they they Microsoft built a a theater. So that people could actually see Halo 2 yeah, in action. You walk into this big conference room floor and it's it's not even recognizable as a conference room floor in some parts because you've got these massive structures in place, including theaters, which show off various games. And yeah, you can actually find videos on YouTube of the different Halo preview events where people get that look and the reaction you hear from the crowd. Like these are hardcore fans of these games. Now, E3 is supposed to be an industry-only event, although in certain years they did open to the public. Um, but even as an industry-only event, you hear people really react in a very vocal way when they see these Halo games um, previewed. Well, when it came out in 2004, it was very popular. It did make some interesting – there were some interesting choices in the game. Uh, it picks up where the first game left left off, uh, but the Covenant end up discovering the location of Earth, and uh, there there's a big battle that takes place uh, on Earth to try and fight off the Covenant and to cut them off before they can tell the rest of the Covenant where Earth is, because this is just one little branch of the Covenant Armada. They're actually looking for something, and they happen to find Earth because they're looking for something else that turns out to be on Earth. 
uh, spoiler alert for the end of this story. Master Chief ends up having to fight them off. Uh, then he has to pursue a fleeing Covenant ship before it can find the rest of the Covenant armada and let them know where Earth is. And in the process, they discover a second Halo ring. So this is where you find out that they there are several Halo rings throughout the galaxy that are set up in this defense network, and the first one was just one of many. Mm-hmm. Uh, aboard that second Halo ring, they discover a creature called the Grave Mind, which is the leader of the Flood on that particular installation, Installation 5. And uh, it turns out it's very intelligent, and it's very manipulative. It ends up manipulating Master Chief and an elite. Now, the elites are one of the races of aliens that are, belong to the Covenant. And one of the elites is called uh, the Arbiter, which was a disgraced elite. It was disgraced because it's the one that takes the blame for the first Halo blowing up in the first game. So this is the elite that takes the blame for that and gets um, uh, its title changed to Arbiter. And it ends up being one of the controllable characters within the game. So unlike the first Halo, where you just play as Master Chief, in Halo 2 you play as Master Chief and also as the Arbiter, and it kind of alternates between chapters, um, which some people liked and some people didn't. But anyway, uh, the storyline plays out where, again, you've got the uh, the Grave Mine manipulating the Arbiter and Master Chief and Cortana trying to bring about um, a series of events that will allow the Grave Mine to start infecting other areas because it's been confined to this Halo ring for ages. Mm-hmm. And this is its attempt to try and spread itself. Kind of like, a, think of it like a virus. It's trying yeah. to spread to a new host, really. And um, in the process, the Halo ring gets switched on, which switches on all the Halo rings across the entire galaxy. And they discover that the activation for these rings is in another location called the Ark. And here's the kicker. The entrance to the Ark is back on Earth. So uh-huh. that means there's a race to Earth. That's how Halo 2 ends. Now, in 2005... <laughs> but that's not the Ark of the Covenant. No. No, different arc. Uh, no covenant faces melt off at the end of this. In 2005, Bungie then, this is getting back to the marathon just for a second, releases the full marathon trilogy for the Mac OS for free online distribution. Which is a shame because I paid for the online, I mean for the trilogy. <laughs> I, I was about to say it's a wonderful thing for all the Bungie fans, but well, I'm glad that Chris yeah. could turn something nice into something that was a personal oh. affront to his. <laughs> In, no, it's the same thing I would have said. In 2006... Uh, Another interesting development, there was an announcement from a certain fellow named, uh, it says here, Peter Jackson, who had, who was, I've heard that name before. He was famous for making that, um, that, uh, movie, The Frighteners, uh, with Michael J. Fox, uh, that one. Oh, also those Lord of the Rings movies. (laughs) Uh, so Peter Jackson in 2006 announced that he was going to produce a, a, a Halo live action film. And this, so you can see the Halo, Halo. Yeah, Halo. yeah. There, are, there's a YouTube video where Peter Jackson actually talks about the Halo film. Uh, sadly, this never really made it out of development. It just kind of sat there in, in various stages of development and never really progressed into actuality. Um, you occasionally still hear rumors that people are kicking around the idea of bringing back this and making a Halo movie. It just hasn't happened. So September 25th, 2007, Halo 3 comes out. 
Now, in Halo 3, the storyline continues again. Uh, Master Chief has to make his way to the Ark. So he has to first go to Earth, because that's where the entrance to the Ark is. Um, he, so he fights Covenant and Flood forces, uh, and they find a portal in on Earth that leads to a location that's outside of the Milky Way that is the activation point for the Halo defense system. That's a long way away. Yeah, it's a long way. Well, you have to be a long way away because if you're using a defense system that's going to kill everything that's sentient within the galaxy, you got to get outside, the, outside galaxy. the galaxy in order to do it without dying. So uh, he, they make their way to the Ark, uh, and, they, and Master Chief also discovers that a new ring is being constructed to replace the one that he destroyed back in Halo 1. Because uh, you have all these these artificially intelligent constructs that still exist, that were built by the Forerunners, that still exist, and can still uh, do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Although most of them are pretty crazy by now because they've had millennia where with nothing to do. Uh, one of those was um, Guilty Spark 343, and that 343 becomes important in a little bit. But um, so you've got these uh, the, this ring being constructed. Master Chief discovers and, and the Arbiter discovers that if they are to activate the rings before the newest one is finished, it's going to destroy the ring and the arc. So there's a big battle between them and the flood and, uh, forerunner technology in order to do this. And of course, eventually they manage to activate it, which makes a self-destruct sequence begin. Uh, they try to escape in a ship that goes into slipstream space. The arc and the ring uh, blow up, and the the resultant shockwave through space disrupts the slipstream uh, pathway and cuts the ship in half, the ship that the Master Chief and Arbiter were both on. Uh, the Arbiter is on the front half, which continues to crash into Earth, so the Arbiter actually survives. And everyone assumes Master Chief is dead. Turns out Master Chief is not dead. He's just floating in half a ship out in space and goes into cryogenic free, uh, sleep again and tells Cortana to wake him up when he's needed. And Cortana sets out a, a distress beacon, which will probably not be um, discovered for several years, according to her. So that's that story. And then September twenty second, 2009, two years later, Halo 3 ODST comes out. Now, this is the first game where you aren't playing as Master Chief at all. You're playing as a member of the United Nations Space Command Orbital Drop Shock Troopers, or ODST. And the story in ODST takes place sort of between Halos 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Because in Halo 2, you've got that big fight on Earth between uh, humans and the Covenant, when Master Chief then goes off to chase after the escaping Covenant ship. Well, ODST takes place... <clears throat> on Earth as a member of this group of shock troopers that are fighting off the Covenant forces that are attacking Earth at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that story. And then in September 14th, 2010, uh, Bungie releases their last Halo game, which is called Halo Reach. And it was a prequel. So it takes place in 2552 on Reach, which is that planet I was talking about at the very beginning when the Pillar of Autumn ship is escaping Reach. Mm-hmm. This is the planet that takes place on. And you are, uh, you play a Spartan who is, uh, designated as Noble Six. He's part of the Noble Strike Squad. Um, it's a six member squadron. And your job is to do these various missions while, uh, trying to fight off the Covenant and ultimately 
the purpose is to try and get Cortana, the artificially intelligent construct, from reach onto the Pillar of Autumn so that the information Cortana has can escape the clutches of the Covenant. Because Cortana has information about Forerunner technology, which ultimately becomes this whole Halo program and ARC thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this, again, takes place before the events of Halo Combat Evolved. Just before, in fact. And um, again, you're not playing as Master Chief. You're playing as a different Spartan. Um, It turns out that Master Chief is one of the few Spartans left by the beginning of Halo Combat Evolved. And it depends on whether or not you've read the movies or read the movies, read the books or um, or graphic novels uh, as to whether or not other Spartans are still alive at this point. And then on June 4th, 2011, Microsoft announced Halo 4. And Halo 4 was a big deal because Halo 4 is the uh, – and I didn't talk about the – the re-release of Halo Combat Evolved, where it was it had updated the the game engine, which mm-hmm. was technically three three four three Industries' first foray into developing this without Bungie. Uh, but uh, Halo Four is the first new game with new story uh, by three four three Industries, which is the new production company that's in charge of the Halo franchise. Because Bungie has left, Bungie left Microsoft and left the Halo franchise behind after Halo Reach. That was their last title in that series. And now the company is concentrating on other projects. Mm-hmm. So Halo 4 is 343 Industries, baby. And it uh, is going to come out on November 6, 2012. We're recording this in the end of June 2012. Um, it comes out on November 6th, and it's going to pick up about four years after the conclusion of Halo 3. It It features Master Chief. It features Cortana. Uh, and it has a, a new series of stories uh, that involve the forerunners. Mm-hmm. So these, this ancient race that developed all this technology that that various uh, races are just now really learning more about. You know, they've heard about the forerunners, but now they're actually starting to learn more about them. And most of it apparently takes place upon an artificial planet that the forerunners created called Requiem. Okay. <laughs> but that's about all we know. I mean, there's there's been some video of some of the gameplay that shows some new enemies that you'll run into that are probably forerunner based. Um, but that's that's about all we know. I'm I'm going to get to know about it more after next weekend because I get to play it early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you know people uh, people are familiar with. Bungie's take on these things. So uh, I know that uh, Halo 4 is going is, is something of a um, uh, maybe a mild question mark. You know, people are wondering if they can, uh, you know, if this the series will survive the transition. Um, I think it's probable that it will. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, well, the the property is very popular. Yes. For another, three four three Industries does have some former Bungie employees on staff, so yep. it's not like it's a totally new group of people who have never touched the project before. Right, but you know, for those uh, you know, especially um, devoted fans, yeah, who are are concerned about something like that, you know, yeah, it'll happen with all kinds of properties like that, comic books or movies or. You know, TV series and the, oh, well, the lead writers, I just don't know if I can keep following it. You know, right, people right. are going to be concerned about that, but I think, um, I think the series is in good hands. Yeah, there's series loyalty and then there's company loyalty and yep. then there's the, 
the complicated place in between. Um, it was also interesting when when uh, Bungie said that you know Halo Halo Reach was their last game uh, in the Halo series. They also released um, some stats when they gave up all the player information that mm-hmm. had been collected over time. Because, you know, Bungie was responsible for that for the longest time, and then they transferred that information over because they were no longer the caretakers of the Halo series. Right. Um, if, uh, let's see, let's see if I can read out this number. See, that's, uh, that's, that's a thousand, that's a million. That's, all right, so since September 9th, 2004, this was one of the figures Bungie released when it gave over the information, players had played 20 billion eight hundred. 80,250,123 games of Halo. That's a few. Yeah. And uh, then they broke it out by title. Um, and they also said how many minutes had been played in Halo, which was over 123 billion minutes of Halo is, playing. Is that broken down by platform, too? Or is that uh, just Xbox? They just played it. They just broke it down by title. So it's not... Um, not by, as far as I can tell, not by platform. Uh, they also broke down the, <laughs> said, you have killed each other 136 billion times and assist, assisted each other 43 billion times, which tells you something about Halo players, I think. <laughs> they like those, they like those Slayer matches. Yep. Um, I can't blame them. I, I like Slayer matches too. The problem with the, the cooperative matches is you have to work with other people. And unless you're able to, select who those people are, that can be a uh, less than ideal situation, Mm -hmm. as I found out last night when I was playing Halo Reach online. Uh, Yeah, if you guys want to play against me, you know, jump on Halo Reach. I am an easy target, as it turns (laughs) out. I got got involved in the online play for Halo early on when it started, Mm -hmm. but then I started having some real problems with my internet service provider. This was back in the Halo 2 days. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I had so many problems that it was starting to seem like I was using a, a, a method to cheat when I was playing online. There was a... People discovered that if they used the standby mode on their routers, on their, you know, their, their modems, that they could cheat in Halo Online. What would happen is you would hit standby, which would make you break your connection to the Microsoft servers. Mm-hmm really the Bungie servers, and you, you'd continue to play, well, the way would the way Bungie's servers would interpret this is they would just keep having your guy do whatever it was he was doing when you broke the connection. So if you were running in a straight line, you would continue running. But you wouldn't really be there. It would just be a placeholder for you. When the connection would reestablish, assuming it did reestablish in enough time, like it was just a few seconds, your... You, your instance of you would suddenly disappear and you would reappear wherever you really were based upon what you were doing locally on your machine. Right. So let's say I'm playing a game of capture the flag. I pick up the flag. I start running in a straight line. I hit a standby button on my modem. I've broken my connection. I immediately hang a sharp right, run that way several yards, then hang a left and continue running. My pursuers see me continuing to run in a straight line because their connection is still to the servers. Right. But every time they try and shoot me or knock me down or run me over, it doesn't seem to work. Nothing's happening. It's because I'm not really there. The the servers are just trying to keep track of where I should be. 
my connection reestablishes, suddenly the computer has to resolve where I really am versus where it thought I was. The representation of my character disappears. Uh, my actual character reappears on the map in a totally different spot than where everyone thought it was because, of course, I had moved in a different location. Right. So this was a way of cheating. You know, you would uh, people did use this. They would grab the flag, they'd use standby, and then they would suddenly be in a different location than where you thought they were, and the flag would get to the other end of the map, and you'd lose. And everyone thought this was awful, and it was, because you were gaming the system. You were finding a hardware solution to solve for the fact that you were not very good in Halo. <laughs> um, well, I had a problem because I had an internet service provider where I was getting severe lag. Mm-hmm. And that lag was acting the same way, like little dropped connections. Every now and then my connection would drop. And so it was acting just like the standby right. uh, bug. And so I ended up I, I stopped playing because people thought I was cheating and I didn't want to play that way. That was no fun for me. I, I wanted to play on a level playing ground. I'm not a great player, but I don't want it to, I don't want an unfair advantage. Right. Yeah. So I true. just stopped. Yeah. And until recently, I just didn't have a fast enough connection to get back on Xbox Live and really play online again. So for years, I just, I just, that part of the game was off limits to me. I just wouldn't play that. I played the single player campaign and that was it. So I was missing out on a big part of what makes the Halo game so interesting to players. Right. Well, I finally got back into it. And um, now my problem is that there are only certain people who still play Halo Reach online because it's, mm-hmm. it's a game that's been out for a while now, right? right. So mm-hmm. it's not as popular as it was when it first came out. Um, and the people who are playing online, for the most part, are people who have been playing for a while. So they know all the maps. They know all the tricks. They have developed their playing style. I'm still learning. So uh, I'm eating a lot of shotgun blasts to the face. <laughs> Not fun. No, it's fun for the other players. They love it. They see sure. my name pop up and they're like, huh, man, I'm going to get a lot of points in this round. Because Jonathan the Walking Target is playing. <laughs> uh, you know, you might want to rename your character. I'm just saying that might yeah. uh, clue char- them in. In case you want to know, my, my game handle, I will go ahead and give it out. I don't, I don't mind. Okay. Because even if I get tons of requests, that doesn't mean I have to accept them. But my game, gamer tag is John B. Strickland because, uh, I use my name as my handle everywhere. Keeps me accountable. So, uh, yeah, if you want to play against me, go ahead. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm telling you right now, you don't, you don't need to tell me. I already know. (laughs) All right. So anyway, that's the story of the Halo franchise as it stands right now. We may, uh, we should also say there are lots and lots of books that tie into the Halo franchise that really flesh out the mythology. Um, depending upon, you know, they, they may or may not really be canon to the games. It's kind of like the Star Wars stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't happen in the games, it's not really canon. But uh, most of them deal with events that happen around the games. Not They aren't necessarily novelizations of the games themselves. So they really are supplemental material that can flesh out that world if you're really interested in it. Um, if you are interested in a totally different topic and you think that we should talk about it, you should contact us. Our email address is techstuff at discovery.com or you can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Chris and I will talk to you again probably not about video games, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?